0: now it's recording
1: <laughs> welcome to the Bearly saved podcast where we have the discussions real christians don't have here's your hosts
2: hey i'm rebecca i'm zach i'm lindsey i'm caleb there we go well here we are podcast number three I think I think we're doing okay.
3: Yeah.
1: I've only gotten good feedback, but I've only had like three people listen. <laughs> that I know.
2: So. Well, yeah, I've only like sent the podcast via like private message to friends of mine just because I'm like
0: I'm determined to purge the like and rights of my speaking before I send the podcast to anyone at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like right uh huh?
2: You you do not sound like a valley girl. You don't have to worry about that.
0: I feel like I do when I hear myself talk. I've been teaching too much yoga.
2: I don't know if Valley Girls take yoga. Before we jump into another theological topic, we have a a "Did you know" segment, right? Is that what we're calling it?
1: That's what we're calling it. Let's go with it.
2: The "Did you know" and eventually we'll have a "Didgeridoo" because then it'll.
1: Did you know with Rebecca? Did you?
3: (laughs) So hold on. Let's, Let's just let's set the record straight here. We're gonna call it "Did you know," and we're gonna have "Didgeridoo" music. Yes. Oh, that'd be awesome.
1: Did you know with Rebecca?
2: Apparently there's a new Iron Man because a jetpack sighting at 3,000 feet over Los Angeles has prompted an investigation. Yeah, apparently they're flying jetpacks. Was there someone attached to the jetpack? I guess is my question.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so apparently one of the pilots reported in, we just passed a guy in a jetpack.
2: Oh my gosh. How do they know it was a guy? I mean... Women don't take that kind of needless risk. Are you sure?
3: It's almost certainly a guy. Like, women don't put themselves (laughs) in that much danger just for the heck of it. There's a reason that women have a longer life expectancy.
0: And lower car insurance costs.
1: The fact that he got up to 3,000 feet in a jetpack is pretty impressive, too. I didn't know jetpacks could go that high because I thought they had to have some kind of surface or something underneath them. Like, they have the water jetpacks, right, that, that have the big hose and the water has to hit the water to or- no it doesn't
3: have to it just uses the thrust which is fascinating it's just like a jet when you shoot a bottle rocket it doesn't have to hit the ground it's just the energy pushing down equal and opposite reaction pushes it up
2: yeah so the article talks about like the main issue with jetpacks is that is the fuel efficiency that they're not like a, they, they can't fly for more than a few minutes which means they usually can't get very high so the fact that it did get that high is is a big deal apparently Maybe may, maybe Tony Stark survived, guys. Did you ever see that show Better Off Ted? I never did. I heard about it. So but there's, I... there's a
0: bit about jetpacks and they're like, man, a lot of people are going to die. Because, you know, they're, they're like talking about how awesome they are and then they realize about well, like, what it's going to be like. And they're like, oh, no, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, it's true. A lot of people are going to die.
1: Another question I have is why is that like, is that illegal to fly a jetpack? Like, why is that illegal or why is that a problem? Why is the FBI and FAA, like, why do they
3: care? So, he was flying inside of airspace, like, 300 yards away from a plane. Like, if you fly into an airplane, you're going to both wreck your life and wreck all the lives of the people on board. So, like, that's the problem, is that you're going to possibly cause, like, an accident. Fly into the jets like a goose, and then everybody dies.
2: It's less about, like, the legality and more about, hey, we don't want to kill people because we're not paying attention to what's happening in our airspace. Um, Although it is, it is an odd idea of like, this is my airspace.
1: Right. Even drones. You can't fly drones within like a couple miles of an airport either. And they're not going to kill. They're not going to kill anybody.
3: Well, you could if you fly into a
2: jet. It's true. Like if it get if it got sucked into one of the wingy things. Listen, I'm never riding
1: in a jet again. Then, like if a bi- if a piece of plastic can take this thing down, it's huge.
2: Dude, a bird can take it down. Haven't you seen Sully?
1: I'm not getting on an airplane. That's why we
3: regulate these things.
2: Yeah. And that's why pilots are trained to like see flocks of birds. Oh. That's what like in the article I was asking, could the pilot have been mistaken? And everybody's like, they have really good eyesight and they're and there was two pilots. Two different planes saw it. Oh, two different planes even saw it? I didn't realize that. Yeah.
1: The actual audio is pretty funny. There's like a third pilot that comes in and is like, hey, we're trying to look for it. We can't find him. Like he's he's wanting to find the guy too. So.
3: Well, he probably went down because you can only fly for a few minutes on a jetpack usually. You have to have fuel. The fact that he got to 3,000 feet is like to me that's crazy now when i was a kid i thought it'd be fun to like fly up in a jetpack like really high and then land in a parachute i thought that would be the most insane sport is just like fly up three or six thousand feet in a jetpack and then parachute down i used to think that would be awesome
2: and then you, you'd have to hit a certain target by parachuting down. And that's how you're scored.
3: Right. You have to like go out to the middle of Iowa or somewhere where there's nothing, fly up and then have to land like a couple of miles away in your parachute. Like, I think that would be an awesome sport.
1: Can we trademark this sport real quick?
0: You know, somebody's yeah. basically done that. There's a guy in the 80s who used weather balloons in a lawn chair. And he like got up to, like 15,000 feet in, with the weather balloons in a lawn chair up by the Los Angeles airport
3: yeah but that's not nearly as much fun as like a jetpack and because I, I always think a jetpack would be fun but you have the issue of running out of fuel and so if you just like deliberately fly up and let yourself run out of fuel that could be fun
0: it's like the jetpack version of base jumping exactly
1: didn't david blaine just do like the balloon thing just recently he like went up with a whole bunch of balloons i just saw a video i don't know
2: i i should know who david blaine is and he's like
1: that magician guy isn't he
2: I don't know. If I knew who he was, I wouldn't be asking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fun. I'm still going to hold on to people who are trying to recreate Tony Stark's suit.
0: I don't know. Okay, y'all. So I used to think I wanted Iron Man, but people's response to the coronavirus is me. Like, I do not want anyone with an Iron Man suit. I do not trust people with an Iron Man suit anymore.
3: <laughs> not like large numbers of people. You have to get like one or two responsible people.
0: Yeah, like... The- But the person who can fund it is Tony Stark. And Tony Stark's a jerk for a very long time.
3: You mean like up until literally the seconds before he dies?
0: He gets better. Yeah. Well, yeah. Basically until he meets Captain America, right? Like the only person that can have a suit is Captain America. And he's the one person who's not going to build a suit because he spent his money doing things that help people. I don't know.
2: Spider-Man could handle it. Yeah. Spider-Man could handle it. I don't think that's necessarily a fair estimation of Tony Stark's character arc. Right. I think
3: that Spider-Man
2: had much more of an
3: impact than what Captain America did.
2: (laughs) No, I'm saying that Tony's character arc, I mean, he definitely had his douchey moments um, throughout the entire thing, but he wasn't completely terrible like the entire time. He probably had the most character development as far as like core changing of things. So he wasn't terrible all the way up until he died, Caleb. It took him to the Avengers movies
0: before I wanted to stop punching him in the face, though. Like, Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, he's just a jerk. I mean, I still wanted to punch him in the face, but luckily it
3: was a film and didn't have to worry about it.
2: Well, 1, 2, and 3 are... Well, Iron Man 3 was after the first Avengers movie.
0: Yeah, I didn't... Yeah, he still wanted to punch him. He was having growth, though. He was having PTSD! <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's the same. That's, it was the first time he had, like, legit character development. It was like, the, he starts to change in the Avengers, and like, like, Iron Man 3, he's, like, got actual character development. yeah because until then he's just kind of entitled rich jerk face
2: i mean i think you see it in iron man 2 as well
0: that one was so bad i block it from memory it's like how there's only like three indiana jones movies there's only two iron man movies the one and three <laughs> yeah
3: it's weird that they didn't make a sequel but they made a third one
2: i know weird
0: it's kind of like the letters to the Corinthians. So last
3: week we talked about the gospel itself being the good news that Jesus is king. And then sort of towards the end of our conversation about Jerry Falwell Jr., we talked about how his behavior was inconsistent with kingdom values. And so this week, I think it's probably a good idea to talk about what kingdom values even are. Because if we're going to say that somebody's acting inconsistently with kingdom values, it's probably important that we at least have some clarity on what kingdom values are.
2: Oh, all right.
3: And so... If you're gonna talk about like what kingdom values are, there's like a million different places that we can start. But we're gonna start in the gospels because that's where the announcement of the kingdom of God is. And then when we get to the gospels, we immediately realize that we'll, even though we started there, we have to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to start with the Gospels and then we're going to go back and be like, what? Because literally the entire thing of the Gospels is like the culmination of the entire Old Testament. The whole Old Testament points to Jesus, points to the Gospel, points to the Kingdom of God. And so even though we read from the Gospels, like there will be a need at a future point to go back and say, okay, what are these Old Testament passages that's quoting. Because like most of the time when Jesus is talking, he's pointing to things in the Old Testament that we like to forget as Christians, even though you can't do that.
0: Which the why, that's another interesting podcast.
2: I agree. So if we start with Gospels, I think, I mean, the basic, the like most centralized teaching of Jesus would be the Sermon on the Mount. And those values and those principles seem like would be a good summary place to start of like, what is a kingdom value? And because he's basically taking Old Testament laws and like expanding them and not expanding them in a sense in a legalistic way, but in a heart way. So starting there with like those being about loving your enemies and the Beatitudes and all those things, which we kind of like to be like, hey, those are really good teachings, but we don't actually want to do them. Not to like be pushing somebody else's podcast, but I just bought Sky Jitani's book, which is What If Jesus Was Serious and talks through the Sermon on the Mount with his doodles and started it with my youth group. And in the introduction, he actually talks about how he's heard Christian speakers and authors and like leaders say, oh, well, the Sermon on the Mount is just supposed to highlight like they they use the Sermon on the Mount as an extension of Old Testament law to be like the Sermon on the Mount was an example of how difficult it is to be like Jesus. So it's giving us the ideal, but we're not supposed to actually do those things.
3: Yeah, I've I've heard from a lot of people, even in the past 24 hours, saying that like, oh no, we can't actually live to the ideals of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't actually mean
2: those things. That's just mind-blowing to me.
0: I'm glad he said to be holy like he's holy and it- doesn't actually mean
3: that. And to me, the amount of mental gymnastics that people are willing to do to ignore what Jesus actually says is mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, it's just like, how do you land there? They had a bad parachute.
2: That's how they landed there.
0: Use the wrong jetpack. Wrong Um, (laughs) jetpack.
2: They didn't have the parachute, is (laughs) the problem. And they go splat. (laughs) So... I feel like I need to pull up the Sermon on the Mount to.
3: Yeah, so Matthew five, Lindsay, do you want to start somewhere with some kingdom of God value that is uh, difficult?
0: There's a lot. <laughs> I'm like, so the beatitudes are what we always think of, but the one that always sticks out to me it is in chapter 6 verse 16 right it's talking about the fasting don't let other people see and do things in secret and almsgiving to you like you know don't let your left hand and ch- at the beginning of chapter 6 don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and that's always seemed weird to me because then later he's on I'm like but then let people your light shine before men and they see you see your good works and like praise your father in heaven you're like which one is it right like is it supposed to be secret and hidden or is it supposed to be seen and i love dallas Wood because in the divine conspiracy he's like you know when you're driving your car and you end up home and you're not quite sure how you got there and you Or you're speaking your native language, or you're breathing, and you don't realize that you don't think about breathing. He's like, you've become the type of person who these things are so natural that you don't notice because they're not outstanding to you. My favorite example is Cory Tinboom in The Hiding Place. She talks about how when her before her family, when she was little, how she didn't know they were poor because they used to take food to people who are worse off than them, or take care of people who are sick, even though her mother was always sick. And she kind of glosses through it really quickly, but I think it's actually foundational to understanding how she becomes the kind of woman who can, like, have a Nazi after the world walk up to her and be the one who was, like, beating up her sister in a concentration camp and forgive him to his face, right? It's because she's already become the kind of person who she has no other option. She, her character is so conformed with that of Christ that while she does have free will, she actually has her free will conformed into God's perfect will. <laughs> and therefore, like, does not have an option to remain true to her character. So the things that she does to her aren't outstanding because what other choice is she going to make? And I think that's kind of that attitude of like that kingdom principle is like, are we the kind of people who have our will conformed with God's perfect will? And I know it's not a concrete example, but it's more of a much broader principle. But I think that's when we're talking about these kingdom principles, that's what we're looking for is like, it is not outstanding to us. Our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing because what else would our left hand be doing, right? Like it's not outstanding to us because what else are we going to do? Kind of like Peter when he's like, where else am I going to go, right? Like what other choice do we have? There's not a choice to us. In te- even though there's technically is an actual choice that does exist to remain consistent with the kind of person you have become and the character you've developed. There really isn't another option. And so I think that's always been something that's really stood out to me of like, am I becoming the kind of person like
2: that can be trusted with free will.
1: <laughs> it was funny. Cause I was like, let me just, let me study some kingdom values before we get on here. Cause I want to sound educated.
2: So you don't want to be educated. You just want to sound educated. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you're not going to do what I do, which is I think about these things randomly. And then like 20 minutes before we start, I actually like pull up things. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I try to do that like for the last two days. Um, this is going to, is going to make me sound weird, but um, I think, I like to know what I'm going to talk about. You know what I mean? And I like to be able to eloquently put it into words that people can understand, especially when you're talking to like non-believers or friends or people that you're trying to have that relationship with. So first off, there is nowhere in the Bible that literally lists the kingdom values. Like it's just a like one, two, three, four, five. Um, Don't ask me how I know that my Google search does not say that, but if it did, that's not the point. The point is, is that, the thing that the, the general theme that I see throughout the, the values of the kingdom or the values that Christians should hold, the values that Jesus taught and showed in his everyday life was love. Um, you can't not talk about the gospel. You can't not talk about kingdom values. You can't not talk about even the cross without talking about love and, and what that really truly means, um, especially in today's society when we have this mentality of the gospel is mine, they're they're my values, they're my thing. And if anybody sees them different or doesn't agree wholeheartedly with me, then that person's wrong. We have a very self centered way of looking at kingdom values sometimes. Like some I, I was listening to a Holy Post podcast yesterday, um, and they were talking about like these the four false gospels from a book that uh, Caitlin something wrote, but they were talking about like how people like take privacy over humility or humanity or or all these other things. Like, we value we value our privacy and we value our ability to do things. And and when you take love and you put that into your into that place and you read any part of the Bible from a perspective of love, um, you realize that that that's I would say probably one of the greatest values that anybody can have is. Loving I was just well everybody. not
2: to try and like break into song, but that uh, that begs the question of like what is love? Because we're <laughs> like we have a lot of our culture from a cultural standpoint, we have a lot of different differing opinions over what it means to be loving, and in the English language, we are particularly limited because we only have one word for it, <laughs> and so then that has to encompass all different forms of the word and. So how do we describe love as a kingdom value without it being like a watered down, make everybody feel good about themselves? Oh, that's easy. Oh, enlighten us, Caleb. That's the easy part right
3: like how do we know what love is like that that is the easy thing the hard part is living it out first john 3 16 says this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them how can the love of God be in that person, dear children? Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We we know we know what how to love people. We know what it looks like. The hard thing is laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters.
0: The Chi Alpha-ism we always use with our students is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and His kingdom.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm st- <laughs> I'm still trying to think of what you just said. It's like okay, un unselfishly loving people.
0: My speed talking. Unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom. Um, And so sometimes we will start off with unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another. But as Christians, we believe the highest good of another is God and his kingdom. So looking at things through the lens of kingdom and choosing how to love people through that. So choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom, which sometimes means doing the hard thing that's really uncomfortable and it sucks.
3: Did she talk slowly enough for you that time? Kind of.
0: Then I sped back up again. <laughs> I get excited in a speed talk. So if I, like I if I talk quick enough, I can get my thoughts out fast enough before I lose them again.
1: The value of love goes, and what we've just literally, Caleb, what you just said, goes against our innate nature of our sinfulness in the sense that we, from the womb, are always protecting ourselves, are always caring about ourselves, are always wanting more for ourselves. It's a, it's a learned, taught trait that we have to learn. And then as we progress through our Christian lives, it gets better, right? At first it might be, oh, I'm supposed to do this, so that's what I'm going to do. And then eventually it just becomes part of our second nature. I think the biggest way to put it is if you put yourself in front of others, you're probably doing something wrong. If you're caring about yourself more than you care about other people, and I'm not saying we should like cater to every unhealthy situation there is, but on the flip side of that, sometimes that leads to the best conversations, especially when people don't expect it. My last job, we all like met up. We had to park probably about two blocks away from the building we were working at. And we all walked down the street and there was this lady on the side of the road. She's there all the time. It looked like she had just had surgery or something. It was crazy. Either way, we were all walking together and I said, hey, I said, how are you doing? You know, just trying to make conversation for a second. And she was like, I'm good. She said, um, I'm kind of thirsty. She said, I'd probably be better if you'd give me some of that water. And I had a gallon jug that was like half empty. And I was like, you know what? I was like, you can just have it. Like, You can have the whole half a gallon that I have. And she was like, oh really? And I was like, yeah. And so I just gave it to her and I get like three or four feet down the road and the guys are just shocked that I gave somebody my water. Like they're just like, they're completely like speechless that I did that. And I was like, why does that matter? I was like, first off, it doesn't affect you guys any bit. You know what I mean? And second off, I have enough money to where I can go buy some water if I need to. I was like, and the building has water fountains so I can go get a drink anytime I want. The fact that this lady needed water at the moment." That's what I did. I didn't think anything of it until after the fact, right? It wasn't weird until somebody made it weird. Right. I was like, this is normal life for me. Like, why are you making this weird? Like, why are you making me feel like I shouldn't have done that? And that just flips the script on people, which was a great conversation starter, by the way, with them about how we're supposed to love people. But that kind of thing, people just don't understand, especially people that weren't brought up in the church or even know anything about how Christians are. But if they look now, (laughs) if they look now at the Christians, Christian, I just put air quotes in for anybody listening, the Christian society that has been broadcasted the most on Facebook, social media, anything, um, it's not what it's supposed to be. And it's not where it needs to be. And it's certainly not getting any better.
3: Jesus, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is a fairly concise idea of what the Christian life should look like, he gives the Beatitudes right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and so forth, and so on. And at the end of that list, the last beatitude is, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I think that's really telling, um, because, Jesus very clearly says that you're blessed when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evils against you. And I think that's really important that when someone is going to attack somebody who's living out kingdom of God values, their accusations are false. That's not the way that you were. And When we see Christians who are genuinely doing atrocious things, genuinely uh, insulting and doing evil things, they don't represent kingdom of God values. If blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but we're always ready to retaliate and get back at people when they've done some sort of harm against us, then we aren't living by kingdom values. And that's as simple as it is. Because if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then... That's what we're hungering and thirsting for, not for our own well-being.
0: And Caleb, I think your Greek is better than mine, but correct me if I'm wrong. But
3: I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> I'm almost positive that word "righteousness" is almost always translated "justice" as well, right? Oh, I can tell you that, yeah. Yeah, but let's do this: hunger and thirst for justice. It's not this like esoteric, airy, woo woo y righteousness. It's just a spiritual thing.
3: Wait, wait. Are you trying to say that like justice in society is a Christian value?
0: Why would I say that? <laughs> Clearly, that's not Jesus's heart.
3: Like social justice matters to God.
0: Yeah. It's almost like he threatens to make israelites orphans if they take advantage of orphans and widows in exodus or something He says he'll hear their cry. Like he heard the cry of the people in Egypt. And the last time we heard God hear somebody's cry was right after he heard his people oppressed in Egypt. We don't hear that phrase again until he's reminding them, by the way, don't be a jerk face because I'll hear their cry. And it reminds them of what he just did to the last people whose cries he heard. And I'll come at you, bro. Yeah, he's like, I will stop it if you won't. And you're like, oh, dang. Like, it's not God's on my side. It's like, am I on God's side? When God established a people that were meant to be his representation, a nation of priests, right? So they're all meant to be bearing the image of God explicitly to show people who he is. He establishes rules that say, by the way, don't glean over your fields twice. If you forget it, leave it. If someone's hungry, they can walk through your field and they can eat some of your food because they need it more than you do, right? All of these things are established to make sure that the disenfranchised are not abandoned. God over and over again says like, I am their God. Like every, almost every prophet, if you look at the prophets, every time they've forgotten to worship God, he's like, you know how I can tell you've forgotten who I am? Because look how you treat these people. Could, they could, Yeah. And he's like, he we, he could absolutely just say, you stopped worshiping me and that's it. Like that would be enough of justice in God's mind. Like God is God. And God is God. But he's like, you know how I can, I know it because I can see how you treat the people I've created in my image. And obviously you don't know who I am if you treat people made in my image this way.
2: The kingdom value of everyone being created in the image of God is one of the foundational worldviews that we have to adopt that says it doesn't actually matter what this person does or what they've said or what their choices are from the standpoint of we still have to treat them as someone who's created in the image of God. And we miss that so much as we we villainize those who are criminals within our own system or we villainize and and justify and celebrate when generals of other countries are assassinated. And even those people, guess what? They're also created in the image of God. And how we speak about that matters intently. I apologize if you can hear my cat meowing and hissing in the background as my dog tries to make her play with her. It's not going well for either party.
3: That's all right. So I think something that's really important is that we understand who this God is that we're speaking of. He's revealed in Jesus, Mm -hmm. and that's really important, but he's also revealed in the Old Testament. God gives his name in Exodus chapter 34, and I think Mm -hmm. that what he says there is really, really telling. So I'm going to read Exodus 34 verses six through seven, because I think that that tells us something really important about the heart of God. Um, This is the most quoted passage of the Bible by the Bible. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. And I think that that is really, really important that God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and loving and faithful. And he loves and he forgives wickedness and he forgives rebellion and he forgives sin. I think those ideas are super important, and if your kingdom of God values do not compute with the nature of God, I question whether or not you're following the God of scripture. If your values, if the thing you're holding up does not match the character of God, then you're not following God. And you read in the prophets, I think it's Ezekiel, talks about how God won't punish children for the sins of their fathers, only for those sins they've continued to commit. So if you've repented of the sins of your fathers, you won't be punished. But as you continue in those sins, you will be. And, and that's, that's the nature of God is to say, I will uphold righteousness, even as that means punishing people.
0: Yeah, it's like we, we mix up justice with retribution and like retributive punishment. God's justice is always rehabilitative. It is not retributive, right? Like it's like it's not about making things worse. It's about making things better, even for those who are doing the bad things, because it doesn't help them either. <laughs> like we see God stepping in because they're only hurting themselves and they're hurting other people. Like it's not good for them either. And I, it's so easy to get caught up. And I know me, right? You guys, I joke about flipping tables. And the thing I had to remind myself of is I have to want to stop the injustice because I also love the perpetrator. And this is also bad for the perpetrator, right? I can't, it can't be about seeking vengeance, but about seeking justice. And so it's about stopping the injustice, not about creating more injustice by getting revenge on the people who did the first bad thing, right? And that's what we see about God's heart, right? He's like, okay, if you repent and change this, like, then we're we're going to, we're going to fix this and we're going to move forward. The point of this is if you look at other Old Testament time period, like contemporaries, like script, like documents. Of other religions, right? They, they get they get prophecies, but they're not about rehabilitation. There's never a, and then if this happens, here's what comes next, right? It's like, well, you screwed up. Now, you have, now everything is done, and that's why you lost the war. Sorry, sucks to be you. But God's like, hey, so I've asked you to be this way. Here's who I am. Please become this way, or this way, this thing will happen, right? If you don't stop, this is what comes next. And then they don't stop, and he's like, okay, well, I told you this is what comes next, right? He's like, but even after this, I'm still here. I'm still your God. There's always a remnant. I'm always going to be faithful.
2: Right. And we see that it's always about restoring that. God's always faithful to the deal, so to speak that he made even to the point of taking extreme measures to reconcile with his people. And he's always the one like taking the steps, which is then echoed in the new Testament with Jesus dying on the cross. Like, because then he's literally doing the big gesture, right. Of reconciliation and, and fixing that. I see
3: Zach there thinking processing. He hasn't spoken for a while. What is he thinking? Reconciliation, forgiveness,
1: all of those things. I, I think what I'm thinking now is that I see so many people today where that forgiveness or that reconciliation of what the, and I'm really specifically talking about not the victim, but the person who did it, the, the thing, or, or even the victim, as we can tell in some of the, the things most recently that happened, always their past is brought up. and That's one thing that you see that God has forgiven and forgotten about type of thing. It's washed clean. We see that through the Bible that yes, sins can hold on for generations, but also like forgiveness from God gets stomped to the ground. At the point when one of those generations, you know, we believe, I mean, I believe in generational curses, and I think that the forgiveness of that or or the reconciliation of that can stop at the point of somebody saying, "Hey, this is what's going on. This is what I need to stop and God, this is how I'd like you to change." But even today, I think that we see too many people Always bringing up the past of somebody else's life. How could you say that? Because a year and a half ago, you said this. Well, also, I've changed a lot in a year and a half, or you were in jail for this term or this long ago about this thing. Yeah, I served my time and now I'm out. You know what I mean? People want to bring up the past because it justifies their attitude or their narrative and it's always I'm better because I don't have that past or I'm better because I have Jesus or I'm better and then fill in the blank because it's always about you 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 and I'm get I get frustrated I'm sorry that's why I haven't talked cuz I I get so frustrated with people with that aspect of life and it's it's difficult don't get me wrong I've done it before like I'm not better than anybody here or anybody listening, but i have it's taken me a long time to be able to do that, and that's why I feel like I don't do that as much or at all anymore, and that's why I can speak on that.
0: I have a question. So I grew up kind of in a conservative evangelical culture, and the thing that comes up a lot about that is they use it the exact opposite way to justify ongoing bad behavior, right? And so it's interesting because we always bring up King David, right, as the example of this. We're like, well, he repented, yeah, he murdered Uriah, but it's fine. But David doesn't get to build the temple, and it's almost certainly because of Uriah, not the murder of war, but the blood of this mighty man that fought with him for so long that he murdered and then raped his wife. It's the blood of the innocent. And so like, yes, David is forgiven, but God doesn't let him build a temple still. There's a difference between like natural consequences of sin. If you drink and drive, you lose your license and you might need to go to jail, right? And you're probably never going to get a job in a transportation company. And that's probably deserved, right? Like you don't just forget it and move on. But there's a difference between adding extra retributive punishment on top of that. And it's like, how do we deal with like the natural consequences of actions and like things that people shouldn't be trusted with? You don't let someone who's abusive around children, even if they've been like out of prison, you're like, you know what, I know that like, this is a thing, but we're not going to put you in a situation that could compromise you or someone else. It's hard, but that's actually the loving thing to do in that scenario. So like, how do we not hold people's past against them? But we still, there still needs to be justice. Right? We can't forget, like you still hurt someone, and we still have to make that right. If that makes sense, right? There's some level of making it right that still needs to happen, and that's not
2: holding it against them. So what I heard Zach specifically more talking about, though, is in our cultural response, is not necessarily about a situation that is abusive or stuff like that, but in regards to how when a victim has been hurt, and then that person's past is what I heard. And that part of it was what I heard more of what Zach was speaking to, because that's what happens in our media so often is this person was killed or this person was whatever. And then it's justified away, or it's explained away, basically because this person had a criminal history. I mean, it's true. Like I remember there's there's a great sermon when I was in college about like why forgive and forget isn't something that is necessarily something that is always healthy in a human capacity because we then that leads to like inappropriate boundaries, and then it, it leads to other possible other harm of other people. And so part of that value is is protecting the innocent or protecting those who can't necessarily speak up for themselves or protect themselves. We can do that in a way that doesn't villainize the person who has the past and protect. And that's where I think when Zach was saying like, what well, we've talked about the base idea of the kingdom values is love. It's like that's the most loving thing to do for both parties is to say, you have a history of being a kleptomaniac. And even though like God's working on you on it, I'm not going to have you count the offering. And I mean, w- you wouldn't necessarily communicate it like that to the person, <laughs> but but you would have that conversation that says, I, we want you to serve. I think this is an area that maybe." wouldn't be wise i don't think that's the same as holding it against them
3: no that's
1: completely out of love like that's exactly
3: out of love so we talk about kingdom value is love and we're about at the end of our time for this segment but i want to read the end of romans chapter 12 which i think is probably one of the most concise descriptions of kingdom values if we're going to talk about like where it is it's more concise than what jesus says but it's sort of a summary, and this is the Apostle Paul talking to the Church of Romans. I'll start reading at verse 9 and end at 21, which is a long passage. But I think that it's important, and it'll tie directly into our next segment. Um, so, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual further, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think if we're going to talk about kingdom of God values, if we're going to talk about what it is to love, I think all of those things are super important. To rejoice with those who are happy, mourn with those who mourn, and don't repay evil for the evil paid to you. When somebody attacks you because of your faithfulness, or even not because of your faithfulness, we don't repay evil for evil. That's not a kingdom value. So when we talk about somebody who's not living by a kingdom value, we're talking about somebody or something that is in direct conflict to what we just read described in Romans 12. And you might say, but that's impossible to live by darn straight it is, right? It's impossible to live by, which is why as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell inside of us, who gives us the ability and the power to live the Christian life because the Holy Spirit manifests the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we live in faithfulness to God. So you're right. You can't. You can't love in those ways. Good. Stop trying and depend on God and stop justifying your bad behavior. Instead, repent of your sins and do better.
0: Yeah, right. It's like, I think I understand now why they used to have such intense debates about Christology, right? Like what is the nature of Jesus? Because understanding that helps you understand, yeah, Jesus was fully God and fully man, but he's like, you know, be holy as I am holy. He's like, I did it. And now I'm equipping you in the same way that I was equipped. And so it's like, unless Jesus cheated, right? And lied about giving us a comforter. So unless Jesus lied on your own, yeah, this is not possible. He's like, but I'm equipping you. I'm sending you. I'm giving you the ability through like my, my spirit to do this and so either jesus is telling the truth or we can't in which case jesus lied and there's a whole bunch of other problems we need to figure out <laughs> right like paul we're all the people to be pitied agreed yeah this is a soapbox of mine because people are like well i can't do it i'm a fallen nature and you're like yeah but jesus told you to like you're not and paul's like you're not a slave to sin anymore
2: yeah you have a new nature speaking
3: of fallen nature you should listen to the ask nt right podcast from last week. We'll have a conversation on that another time. When
2: when when we get NT right onto our podcast.
3: That's not even a topic he's written on. That's just Augustinian theology.
2: Dude, I do not like Augustine.
0: I will just say, William Constantine basically set us up for where we are. And he's the kind of person that, like Tony Stark, you want to punch in the face, kind of like Nicholas and Arian.
3: This book right here, The City of God. It's my copy that I stole from a library accidentally. Does
0: somebody want to explain real fast why we hate Augustine? So people who don't know don't know why we're all mad.
3: Yeah, do you see that book? It's huge.
1: That's why I hate the guy. Like,
3: I've read through this thing about a half dozen times and it's a whole thing.
1: I
2: feel like I need to read it just so that i Oh, you don't i
1: don't
3: okay you book readers
1: disgust me i just want you to know that i'm over here like struggling
2: readers
3: are leaders first off this is my paper copy this is not the only way i've read it the first time i read it was on audiobook but when you're gonna cite things because like this has a whole long discourse on hell and eternal punishment. And so... It,
2: that's Caleb's shtick.
0: But Augustine is a large part of where we have the kind of spirit-soul dichotomy, like body-spirit weirdness that comes that's basically platonic and not... Because he never
3: separated himself from his Manichaean history. And um, he simply co-opted his previous worldview into what he read in the scripture, and Tertullian agreed with him enough to let him do it, even though Tertullian was never canonized, but, you know, Augustine loved him.
0: So basically, the, the weird disembodied spirit thing that people have about heaven, that's largely Augustine and is not really reflected in the Bible's understanding of heaven and earth.
1: Hold on. So we're not not—we're not going to be floating globes in heaven, like just a ball of light?
3: like
0: whing. That's Platonism and Mormonism.
3: <laughs> we're probably going to cut out this whole section here on... <laughs> Augustine.
0: Yeah, I just figured I was like, if you, if you didn't, because you, you looked, you had this like kind of deer in the headlights look and we're all like ranting about Augustine. I was like, we don't like Augustine because of the theology that is just coming from him.
3: Right. But the whole sin nature thing, Pelagianism, all of that. So we're going to let Rebecca do our intro into our next segment. And at some point here, when we had this long dialogue, we're going to do that little fun music until we have like intro music to go into the segment.
2: Exactly. So speaking of punching people, it took a while for this to hit some of the bigger media things. But uh, last week in Christian News, about a week ago, after one of the nights of the RNC, Thursday. Okay, so it's been over a week now. We're recording this on Friday. This video surfaced after the RNC where a guy on a bike is riding past a group of the RNC like highfalutin types and is yelling F Trump over and over and over again, which you know, I could see is annoying. But then you see this little scuffle happen and some guy hauls off and punches the guy on the bike. That's
3: exactly. the christian thing right the guy rides by you on the bicycle and so you just run up behind him and punch him that's kingdom values at work because words hurt me and i can't take words and so we just repay evil for evil
2: in the video you hear a woman's voice yell eric and then it keeps recording and you see this guy like running moonwalking backwards to like quickly get away from the dude who just came off his bike and was like, you just assaulted me. <laughs> like, and it's very clear by his outfit and by the fact that someone, you know, said Eric, that this is Eric Metaxas because Eric Metaxas decided to wear white pants and a hot pink shirt with a Navy double vested coat with bright buttons. And it is very clear That it is the exact same person.
3: Oh, yeah. And he's admitted to it now. He has,
2: yes. It took a week, but he's admitted to it. So Eric's, Metaxas's explanation was that supposedly the guy on the bike was playing chicken, like with the, with like the RNC people who are walking, like he was getting as close as possible and then like swerving around them to like be intimidating or the word that Metaxas uses uh, repeatedly is menacing them. And so then he decides to punch him in response to being menaced.
3: Yeah, I think we probably should like talk about who Eric Metaxas is, because some people might not be familiar, you know, but he's he's been in the Christian world, the Christian subculture for a long time. He used to work on Veggie Tales. He wrote Hamlet or, or whatever it was, Omelette.
2: So he wrote the ones that weren't good?
3: No, that was a good one. That was back in the day when Phil Vischer was in charge. It wasn't a bad one.
2: He helped co-write Esther, the Esther episode. Yeah.
3: And, and he did some voices for that, right? And and so, like, back in the day, he did those things. But also, he's done some history things. He did the Wilberforce biography, a Bonhoeffer biography, a Martin Luther biography. And even though he might uh, not let facts get away in, of a good story as he's doing those things. Um,
0: so Bonhoeffer fan fiction, not a Bonhoeffer biography.
3: I mean, yes. And he also is the host of the Eric Metaxas show, which is a nationally syndicated radio program. You can hear it on all of the super popular conservative talk radio shows. So that's who he is. He's, he's been in the Christian subculture. He's been around for like a long time right? Like his Wilbur first documentary came out in 2007
2: documentary or a book?
3: Uh, that was his book, his biography. And they've like made a bit they've made amazing grace the movie based on that book. I liked the movie that was based on his book. Let's just say he's been around. And in recent years, he's become increasingly political.
0: And right wing political. You think someone who worked on VeggieTales would understand not eating the chocolate bunny. Right? You don't eat the bunny.
3: But the bunny.
0: I love the bunny. Hello. The bunny. The bunny. Just want a knife
3: and a bunny. <laughs> so he's become increasingly defensive of Trump, and obviously he has some sort of a relationship with Trump because he comes to the national convention, the RNC, which is fascinating to me. But he's got like he's got some interesting ideas. Yeah,
2: I, I didn't actually know about, I mean, I didn't, so I didn't grow up in the church. So I didn't know who Eric Metaxas was until his whole like white Jesus Twitter issue. Like that was my introduction to Eric Metaxas. So
3: <laughs> Yeah. Let me read that tweet because I think, I think it's gold. It's from July 27th, 2020. So this is like not even two months ago that this, he he said this in the midst of, a civil rights movement brought on by the killing of george floyd in in the wake of this eric metaxas tweets jesus was white did he have white privilege even though he was entirely without sin is the united methodist church covering that i think it could be important
2: so that was the tweet was in response to the fact that the united methodist one of the churches or like main gatherings of the Methodist uh, denomination was speaking about white privilege. And so that's the context of what he's responding to just for, to give, to give some context to it, but there's no context that like excuse excuses or explains saying that jesus was white
0: so it's funny to me that people are all like well, privilege is not a thing and then they talk about how awesome it is that Ro- paul was a roman citizen it's like the time where he's about to get beat up and he's like by the way i'm a citizen like oh crap right and the guy who's about to beat the tar out of him freaks out because paul was a roman citizen and you're not allowed to do that to roman citizens we acknowledge paul had some kind of privilege as being a roman citizen
3: Paul had Roman privilege and we like to think of that.
0: And we're like, and he used it for the kingdom, man. He only says it when it's gonna be like strategic. And it's like, but nope, that's not a thing that only happens with Paul. And much like racism is is over when Martin Luther King got assassinated, citizenship stuff doesn't matter after Paul because there's no junior Gentile, nor slave, nor free. Forget the fact that every tribe, nation, tongue is described in Revelation. And John can tell that they're from different places, like visibly different people (laughs) because he's hearing different language and people look different.
2: Okay, so back to the punching part. So, we have somebody who is kind of a well-known bigwig in the right-wing political Christian worldview.
0: Can we call it evangelical and not Christian?
2: Evangelical worldview who hauls off and assaults somebody for yelling F-Trump. I don't know if listeners are ready for me to actually drop the F-bomb on this podcast.
3: We're marking it as clean and not explicit, so I would have to censor it. So, if you said I would have to censor it out.
0: <laughs> I just watched the video again. He's on the same road, but he swings pretty wide. He's not playing chicken with anyone.
3: He's just going through, right? This is after the convention. They're walking to get to an Uber, and this guy's riding by in a very peaceful protest. He's being peaceful. He's just shouting at people. Like, I don't know how much more peaceful you can get than riding through, not getting in the way of people as they're walking, and Eric Metaxas hauls off and punches the guy.
1: It's not peaceful at all. Nope. That's not peaceful. Kneeling isn't peaceful. Wearing a shirt isn't peaceful. Put it in Put it on your Facebook isn't peaceful. Saying stuff on Twitter isn't peaceful. Coming online isn't peaceful. Really, just if you disagree with me and you protest, you're not being a peaceful protester. Like, I don't want to hear it if it's a protest. But you have the right to do that, but you can't.
2: A bit of a devil's advocate here, just to to make it a little bit more interesting. I do think that from the evangelical worldview, saying... Trump is like considered violent to them because the evangelical church has made like cussing be this like pinnacle of which we can talk about swear words at a whole other podcast. But the evangelical world has made swearing be the pinnacle of, you know, if you're if you're a Christian, if you if you're a Christian, we don't cuss. And so I guess that just for sake of like when I've seen the conversation start to happen with other believers in regards to whether or not this was peaceful or not, I think that's something that whether I agree with or not, because I don't, the evangelical like worldview is that that's hostile and aggressive and not peaceful because you're using the F word. You're
1: using words. If you pulled out a gun and was like, put it to the dude's head and then like that's not peaceful of course like you're gonna shoot somebody
0: no that's fine as long as you're white like the guy who drove 20 miles with the ar (sighs) stop speaking facts here's the thing
3: about what metaxas did right even if it was a violent protest right even if he was being violently attacked we just read romans 12 right like kingdom of god values are that even if you are being violently attacked you do not repay evil for evil regardless i don't care if the dude just punched him in the face you don't get back up and haul off and punch him that's not to say that you can't like stop somebody from continuing to commit violence right like a dude's punching you in the face i'm not saying you just take the punching in the face preferably you grab his fist and give him a hug and and you hold him there until the proper authorities can get in what if you gave him like 20 bucks
1: and like a Bible or something.
3: I mean, maybe, maybe that would work, right? As, as much of a pacifist as I am, I'm not going to say that you cannot, in some way, like stop violence from being committed against yourself. But to go back and actively commit violence after he's not a threat, or when he wasn't a threat, that's squarely against Kingdom of God values that we just read about in the Sermon on the Mount and in Romans chapter twelve. And that's a problem that we have people now defending in one of the groups that we're in a pastors defending Eric Metaxas because it was self-defense. When the scriptures say that we don't return evil for evil, the kingdom of God value is that even if he was violent, even if he had actually been hitting people with his bike as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you do not retaliate in that way.
2: I also, and one of the things that I said in response to that, that conversation was that, you know, Metaxas is claiming that he was playing chicken and was being menaced or like was close to being hit or whatever. And my response was, you know, it took Metaxas a week to own up to what he did. His credibility for his side of the story has been lost for me because he didn't own it in the first place. Well, he didn't think he'd get caught. I don't know. He went social media silent very quickly.
0: It's because it doesn't matter. He's like, it's not like anyone's going to hold him accountable.
2: Well, that's the thing. Like He went social media silent so quickly that I think he was hoping it would just go away, but he knew it was like being raised. Like he knew this was going to be an issue and he still didn't respond to it and didn't own it. And so his whole version of events, I don't trust. And let's let's just say, let's, let's point this out too, that the guy who got hit, he's not pressing charges. He's acting more within line of kingdom principles of not having like a vengeful response in a legal sense, at least, than, than the Christian did. We, we don't actually, we don't know what this guy, if he believes, if he follows Jesus, he
1: very well could be a, a Christian. Because I, w- I just watched the video and he just like haymakered the guy in the back of the head and you can hear a loud thump, like from across the street pretty much on the other side of the line so either way the dude's in the wrong and the last time i checked words really can't hurt you i mean they can mentally trust we'll talk about that
2: later too that's the worst nursery rhyme ever
1: (laughs) i think about it all the time if i'm depressed it's just like oh those hurt but either way what i'm saying is like it wasn't even about you like if i if he looked at that person and said you know that to about him and not trump
3: well he was he was what he was saying was uh f u f trump F-U-F-Trump. F-U-F-Trump. He's saying it to all the people who were leaving the RNC as he's riding by on a bicycle. Pretty slowly, right? He's not going, like, so fast that, like, Eric couldn't catch up with him. And he's, like, giving people space.
0: There's some research that basically talks about how, like, these deeply held identities and, like, beliefs become a part of your identity. So basically, existing as someone who does not endorse Trump is actually viewed as an attack by people like him because it attacks their identity. Like it is considered an existential threat. Like viewing and like existing in opposition is a threat. And that's why it explains some of the craziness. It's like you are, you existing as a person. It's like i um, with Kamala Harris the day that she was, we found out she was going to be the VP for um, Biden. Trump asked about her birth certificate. And it's like, she exists as a woman who's not white. So therefore she can't be American, right? Like, and that's clearly so like foundational to like that, whole like philosophy right it's like existing as someone who disagrees as a woman who isn't white is a, a threat just by existing right and so that guy existing walking through is a threat just because he exists there is some irony that they're walking down a road and blocking the road and they're mad about protesters blocking the road and he's riding his bike on the street and they're walking on the street um so there's a whole different level of irony happening there and about who gets to block roads and who doesn't And also, it was things. a
2: rented bike too not that that really matters but, but that was the detail that the guy said.
3: People get to block roads, like, right? The next day after that, there was a march in D.C. Like, they blocked off a huge section of D.C. for that march. People block roads for those things. That's literally the, one of the jobs of the police that the police should have is maintaining public safety by blocking roads. But they were in this section of the city where roads were blocked off, which means that there's police nearby because when police block off roads, they don't just leave it unattended. So the idea that Eric Metaxas didn't know where the police were, that it made it frightening because he didn't know where the police were, I can guarantee you, having been in that part of D.C., when roads were blocked off, there weren't police more than a block or two away. There ain't no way he didn't believe that there was safety.
2: I'm pretty sure in the video... There's a cop in the end of the
1: video. I think the... The funniest part about it is, listen. If you're gonna punch somebody, like sucker punch them, and then they try to like hit you back, like fight him. Stop trying to do the moonwalk backwards and get away. Like
3: you did But
0: the- that's what, that's what bullies do, though. What you
3: have to do is see. Here's what I think. I think he should have told his wife that he was gonna do it before he did, so that way she wouldn't yell Eric, and there would be a positive identification. Like the fact that she yelled is what didn't is what like made it definitely him. And she sh- she should have just not said anything, and he probably would have actually got away with it.
0: And that's the problem is like. Bullies, that's what bullies do, right? They Bullies aren't brave. They're honestly kind of cowards. And they use influence and power and project power to get what they want. And then when they, and they're not used to being told no. That wasn't, it wasn't like he was actually stopping injustice, right? Like he was just butthurt. <laughs> and like, how dare you question me? So Psalms 82, this is like God talking, right? Um, God is, he's sitting in his divine council and he's holding judgment and he's talking to people. And he's like, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan, maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The wicked at this point are being referenced, right? They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. This is not a new problem. And God has squarely set up which side of it he's on. Like, and he wants the best for these people too, right? Like, this is not like he's like out to just like doom people, but he's like, I will stop you from hurting these people. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth for all the nations belong to you, right? We get into this mindset of we have to protect what's ours and defend our way of life, forgetting that from a Christian worldview, it's not yours anyway. None of it is. You don't have to protect it because God's big enough to protect himself, right? Your job is to take care of people (laughs) who need protecting and to steward the garden well.
1: If Jesus like just decided to come back and walk the earth for a little bit cuz he was bored or something, you know, I don't know. Um and then just be like and then like change and just talk to people the same way he did in the Bible. I guarantee I would probably say at least half of the American Christians, air quotes again, that that are around would argue with him and be like, that's not right. Like dude, come on, like no, but my freedom and my rights and my constitution and yeah, because like just argue about, like, what his values are. It just dumbfounds me.
3: It's
2: like you missed the point. Oh, right over your head.
3: All right. And with that, we're going to need to end our podcast because we're we're out of time. Thank you for listening to the Barely Save
1: Podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes,
0: links, and show notes at BarelySavedPodcast.com. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh, bye.